Uh, but we're so glad you guys are here with us today. Thank you all joining us online. And uh, this is our Biker Sunday, so Curtis Hubble is going to come share with us this morning. And you guys know Curtis and Teresa and their family. They've just been amazing members of our church, amazing members of Honor Bound, and uh, he's going to share with us this morning. So give a big Calvary welcome this morning to Curtis Hubble. this turned on right hello hello not yet not yet i think it's turning i have a green light here that's all i know okay test one two test um it's always it's always great to be here this is this is officially my fourth annual favorite sundays uh i love i love what we do here um i it, it, it was interesting when I first uh, got acquainted with uh, Lexington Assembly of God. I don't know what you were known for in this community before. Uh, I'm not sure, but you are now the biker church in Lexington. I don't know if you knew if you know that, but once the weather starts uh, warming up and a few of us start riding our bikes out here, uh, we don't have the signage up. We've been talking about the signage forever. That's motorcycle only parking out there. Uh, but uh, people, people notice that uh, this is, uh, so this is the Biker Church in Lexington now, and I'm really happy uh, to be here, uh, and uh, I'm very, very thankful uh, for the support that this church has shown my family and I uh, since we immigrated here uh, from Colorado about five years ago now, and uh, it's, it has just been such an interesting uh, journey. Uh, so I, I never thought I would be an immigrant to the great state of Nebraska, but uh, I, I was. Uh, I never thought that I would be uh, visiting the Ukrainian consulate in Chicago uh, like I did last week, but I did. And so my next stop uh, actually uh, on my international journey is I found out that I will be dealing with immigration in Ukraine. So we're getting ready to immigrate to Ukraine. I uh, don't know if you have noticed Ukraine's been in the newspaper, or there's no such thing as newspaper anymore, is there? <laughs> been in, a, in the digital media nonstop. Uh, but uh, you, pr you probably have uh, noticed that quite a bit, and so people come up to me a lot because they say, wow, Ukraine, and, and uh, the, the first reason that people uh, found Ukraine interesting uh, was because Donald Trump was getting impeached because of that. That's kind of what put Ukraine on the map for a lot of people. Now the uh, big talk is that, uh, that they're about to go to war with Russia, and so it's a big deal. I'm going to tell you, that's been happening for years. It's nothing new. Uh, there's, there's some saber rattling going on, and, uh, but many people have expressed, they said, boy, isn't it some, it, maybe you should rethink this. And I agree. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a million reasons we should not go to Ukraine. I can, I can list them. So, some of the reasons that I should not go to Ukraine are actually in Sunday school right now. My grandchildren, well, my son, we take him. I was going to say, I'm not leaving him. So, yeah, he's going with us. But some of it's just family. Some of it's our friends. We, uh, we, I, I got acquainted with, a, with what it means to be a foreigner. I had never been, the closest I'd come to being a foreigner is when I immigrated to Nebraska. 
I thought that was a rough transition. And boy, it was not. There's a million reasons that we shouldn't go. There's one reason that we should. Because God's sending us. And I don't care. I don't know what I... If we wait, listen to me. Some, 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 somebody might need to hear this. If you wait till it's the right time, or you wait till you feel right about something, or you wait till you think it's safe enough, I believe that you're going to live your life in constant regret. You're always going to be getting to some point where you realize what you could have done instead of what you did. I want to encourage you. Be cautious. My goodness, be wise. Listen to the people around you. Make sure you know the voice of God. Don't be impulsive. Don't be, don't be crazy. But when you know God is leading you to do something, please, I implore of you, do it. Do it. Everybody that ends up doing something that you you look over and you go, boy, that, that's amazing what they've accomplished. You know what it started with? Some shaky, little, fearful, tiny uh, moment where they finally said yes to God, no matter what it takes, no matter what it is, I will do what you have called me to do. We're getting ready to go back to Ukraine. I'm really excited. My guys are there. They're excited for me to get there. Uh, what I love is that last year when I was getting ready to go and things kept getting uh, bumped because of COVID and, and just on and on it went, they kept pushing pause. They kept saying, well, here's what we want to do, but, but we really need to wait. And, and they, would, they were waiting for me to get there so I could show them what to do. And we had, a, we had a great summer. It was weird because of uh, COVID over there as well. But uh, we pulled off our very first evangelistic event in Ukraine, our motorcycle uh, event over there, what, what I always call them, what I would call it here too, is that this is bad. This is Biker Appreciation Day. It looks great on a flyer. I, I took that to Ukraine. So we did our first Biker Appreciation Day. It was September 13th, if I'm remembering correctly. But we were barely able to pull it off because it kept locking everything down because of COVID. And the church was a little jumpier about it than I wanted. And I thought we were going to get shut down. But we didn't, we weren't, we weren't able to uh, publicize this event at all. I even bought a, a, a color laser printer so we could make up some posters and, and plaster the town. We couldn't do none of that. We had to keep it on the download. So it was only word of mouth. We only publicized it in three villages, the village of Motovilovka, where the church is uh, located, where we'll be building our international training uh, center and, and the headquarters for Honorbound International. Uh, we, we publicized it there. Then we publicized it uh, in uh, Borova, which is just a couple kilometers up the road, and then I can't remember the name of the other village, but that was it. Three, three small towns, that was it. It was all word of mouth. And I kept telling the guys, I, I, we, we had meetings all summer long, what should go, here's what you need to be doing. But I knew it was going to be just like everything else. They were going to just, they were going to do nothing all the whole time. I've seen how this works. I know how Ukrainians, how excited they are, how you can count on them. If they say yes, it means absolutely nothing. Just telling you, it's not a lie. It's just... It's just Ukrainian. It's just the way that it works. So we would invite people over to our house, and we would let them set the time. I never set the time. I said, okay, we want you to come to our home for dinner. 
when would you like to bring you and your family? And they would pick a time. So we would cook the food to be ready and hot and delicious at that time. And then they would roll in sometimes two hours later. And you're like, what? So I just, I'm like, man, this is, this is going to be rough. I thought it's going to be just as good as I can make it happen. And, and as we got closer, I, I, was, uh, I had divvied up all the work, what we were going to do. And so I asked my uh, soon-to-be president. He wasn't then. He was still on probationary status. I asked him, I said, okay, when should I get on scene? And we had kickstands up about 2 o'clock. I said, when should I be on scene? He goes, oh, two. I said, what? You mean I'm not going to have to be running around like a chicken with my head cut off uh, right up to this event because nobody followed through? And I thought, this will be a disaster. So I showed up a little earlier than two. But everything was ready. It was good. And through this little word-of-mouth event, we had about... We had about 40 bikes show up initially. That was just for us to parade around town. It was the weirdest thing. I'm telling you, weirdest thing I've ever, it's so strange over there. It's, it's, it's just bizarre. We rode, the longest ride I took while I was in Ukraine was 150 kilometers one way. I still don't know what that translates. Or wait, no, it was 80, I think. Yeah, not, 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 not the, and uh, that was it. Little, little tiny short ride. It took us about four hours to cover that much ground. They kept stopping like in the middle of the road, and I didn't have an interpreter with me, so I, I was just trying not to get lost. That was the only thing. If I lose the bike in front of me, I'm, I'm dead. I'm, you'd never hear from me again. So I just went, but we'd stop in the middle of the road, and I'm like, guys, what, what are we doing? Every 20 feet, it seemed like we were stopping. I thought, okay, well, now we'll just go on. No, no, we stop at this gas station, that gas station. I thought, what are we doing? Finally, I found out we had a chase vehicle, right? That's good. You need a chase vehicle, don't you? You guys know? No? Nobody's with me right now. Okay, it's, it's common. They had all the camping gear and everything with us. Well, they kept breaking down. That's why, we had, that's why we had to stop every so often, because if they didn't show up to where we had our first honor-bound campout, which I called it the Ukrainian, uh, the Toilet Paper National Monument in Ukraine. That's, it was a whole other thing. It was a forest coated, well, I don't need to go there. <laughs> but 80 kilometers. When we finally got home, I kissed the ground. It's the hardest riding I've ever done in my life. The worst roads, oh, far worse than the road that I live on. I didn't think that that was possible. <laughs> we had a great outreach event. We did our little ride, and we went through the town, and as, as we rolled into these villages, people just poured out. They poured out from everywhere, and they were on the sidewalks. They were waving. Oh, it was, you, you'd have thought we were doing some incredible thing just by parading through the town on our motorcycles. And here we were. We came back. We did our a typical motorcycle event type of stuff, served them food, all of that stuff. Then at the end, I preached the gospel to them. I'm going to tell you how it normally works when you're preaching in Ukraine in a Pentecostal church. The people sit there as if you're in a morgue or something. They don't move. They never crack a smile. You have no idea. You can't tell if your joke was funny or if they're about to, if they're about to uh, drag you out in the street and pummel you or something. Very reserved. Very, very, very straight crowd. So I preached, I preached the gospel at our motorcycle event. And when I was done letting people know that Jesus Christ loves them and he has a plan for their life and, and that you can't make a decision at any point in your life that is unforgivable by God Almighty who knows you by name. And I, I preached the gospel to him. I had an interpreter going on. When I was done, they gave me a standing ovation. 
I want to tell you who was clapping. It wasn't the Christians because they know how to behave when the gospel is preached. They sit there like you're sitting right now. <laughs> but people were so receptive. And they were so happy to find out that, that God loved them. And we just, found, we just found tremendous favor. We're getting ready to go back uh, June 7th, and uh, we're really excited about that. Things are, things, are, things are in place. God's opened some doors that uh, I didn't, I was surprised how they opened, and I uh, would love to share that with you uh, at some other time. But uh, I, I want to talk to you very quickly this morning. Did I sound like a minute? I said very quickly. <laughs> I do want to talk to you this morning. And uh, this is our big thing. This is our Biker Sunday. This is kind of the kickoff to the riding season. Thank God. This is wonderful. We've had snow on this weekend before. But, man, we were up in the 90s yesterday. And I know the big topic is the wind, but we'll take it, man. This is wonderful. Uh, so we've had a great weekend. But this is kind of the kickoff uh, to the riding season uh, where I was from in Colorado. We were kind of in a weird climate, so I never had to worry about winterizing a motorcycle. Got to ride them out, uh, ride them throughout the winter. But uh, here it's changed up for me pretty much. When I put my bike away, I put it away. It's done. So we get them ready to roll again. And uh, when that when that comes or when the, when the season comes up, I do. I just kind of go through a big uh, a big. A maintenance schedule on my motorcycle. I'm looking at the tires. I'm I'm checking. This is something I did. I'm really happy. I finally bought a tool to check the to actually check the uh, drive belt tension on my motorcycle. For years, all I've done is went, yeah. That feels about right. But I actually bought the tool this time. So it was a big day for me. I got that done. I, I put tires on. There's one thing that I do, and I only do it because the odometer tells me it's time to do it. And that's I change my oil. I know how long it is that I'm supposed to run on oil. This is my motorcycle here. It's a little bit different beast. This one is actually a couple years older than I am, uh, but I love this thing. Maintenance on this is a little different than maintenance on my uh, motorcycle uh, that I have now. But uh, on this one, I change the oil about every 1,500 miles. The reason you do that on this machine is because the oil is absolutely critical, not just for lubrication, but for cooling. The, the filter that's in here, there might be a paper one in this one right now, but the original filter that went here, they called it a camel hair filter. I still don't know if it's really camel hair, but I remember when I was thinking about that, I just, I just pictured all these people out in the desert going up to the camels and just grabbing big old wads of hair off of there, and they, you know, they come into the filter, oil filter place here, I have a bushel of camel hair, and and then they somehow make it into a, a oil filter. But they, they, there, there's a, there's a, everybody who has a bike, they know their maintenance schedule on that motorcycle. And you're very wise if you follow that. But on an on a oil change, that, that is just because it says it's time to do it. I've ridden enough miles, the oil needs to be changed. If you wait until there's a problem, it is too late. I can't imagine an oil-related problem that an oil change will fix after the engine already lets you know about it. Guy that some of you know, <laughs> here, one year he's up at Sturgis. He's helping me out, and he goes, man, he says, my engine is making a funny noise. 
He was on a Japanese motorcycle. I'm not used to people on Japanese motorcycles saying, my engine's making a funny noise. So I went over, and sure enough, his engine was making a very funny noise. And he said this. He said, I don't understand this. I just had it serviced. Okay? That should be good, right? Well, I pulled his dipstick, and all that came out was a little residue of oil and a lot of brass glitter, all kinds of shavings. I said, it's, it's over. <laughs> I said, it's, it's too late. He still wasted his money and went and bought oil and filled it up. And it made no difference whatsoever. So this is some, there's some things you do just because it's time. Other things you do just, uh, they're, they're safety issues. But uh, you've got to, you, you have to keep everything going. Um, an oil change, I think one of the most important things is not changing the oil. It's changing the filter. And I saw, I saw kind of a documentary expose thing a few years ago. I'm one of those fast lube type of places. I don't remember which one it was. Or no, well, wait. <laughs> Anyway, I found, I found this out about this one particular uh, oil change place. If they got backed up, if it, if it was really busy, because they were supposed to get you in and out really quick, and you were a regular customer, you know what they would do to your oil filter? They would wipe it clean, drain the oil, and send you down the road. And that really bothered me for, for a couple of reasons. One, they were doing that if you were a regular customer. It seems like you would, you, if you were going to do something dirty like that, you would do it to people that uh, weren't your regular customers. But, uh, but that's, a, that's a faulty way of doing things. And you may be able to get away with doing that a few times and say, well, I changed my oil, I changed my oil. But if you're not getting rid of that filter and getting rid of all the junk that it's taken out of the engine, you're putting everything at risk. And I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about your spiritual life. And a couple things that act as filters that can help you to keep, keep you running, uh, running smooth. And the, the first one is this, and it's going to be a dirty word. I'm going to say it, and some of you are going to react uh, in a, uh, a negative way. But the first filter that's in your life that I think you need to uh, keep track of and make sure it's good is religion. Right? That's a dirty word, isn't it? Especially, man, I'm, I'm telling you, in, in, in our circle, in Assembly of God circles, boy, we, we do not like that word religion. But listen, listen to this definition. This is, this is what religion is. Religion is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. Here were the synonyms, faith, belief, worship, creed, church, cult, denomination. So... A lot of uh, religion is a is, is a really broad term, and it's a very scary term for some people because I think uh, with us we say we don't have a, a religion; we want to have a relationship. But I want you to think of religion as this: it's the framework for exercising your faith. This is what we become accustomed to once we have defined our beliefs. As Christians, we have God's word. And everything in our customs, everything that we do, every expression that we have has to line up with Scripture or it is illegitimate in every way. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care what somebody told you. If it is, if it is a violation of God's word, stop doing it. 
We have to have, make sure that our religion is absolutely based on God's word. Our customs and practices can never violate God's word. Everything you need to know about Christianity is recorded in God's word. You don't need any other book. I had a, I had a friend one time, he said, man, I read a great book about Christ. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> what was it called? He said, Matthew. I'm going to tell you something. Some of you need to quit reading books about the Bible and just start reading the Bible. There's really not that much new. There really isn't. And I know these guys, that, they get big ministries and they've got it. They've got to pump out material. I mean, if you're on television or on the radio, you've got to have a way to get people to, to keep flooding you with money. I couldn't imagine the kind of pressure that it would take to buy airtime or all this stuff that it takes. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying tell, there's not that much new. There's not that much exciting. If, somebody, if, you, if you get on a, a vein and you go, you know, I've never thought of it that way before. It could be because you shouldn't think of it that way. It could be because it's a big load of baloney. Get it out of your life. Make sure what you believe is based in God's word. Religion helps us to develop good habits and rituals so that we can stay on track. As a child, I had church clothes. I knew what was happening. No matter what week it was, I knew what was happening on Sunday and Wednesday. I didn't ever have to guess. And I knew once my church clothes were on, I was supposed to behave in a certain way. You want, want me to get me on death row? Because if I was already in my church clothes and I decided to go ride my bicycle or something and ended up getting dirty, I was in big trouble. I learned, to, I learned how to talk to God as a young child. I received my call to ministry. All of this was in the framework of my church and my religion. My church emphasized the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that I was the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our religious rituals can be a foundational to our character and life, but they can fall short. Listen to James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. It says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me push pause right there. Did you hear what that said? Quit getting so mad about stuff. It's not going to change anything. Can you imagine if anger could actually change things? Boy, ho, ho, ho. It doesn't produce. Just being mad about something, it's not enough. Okay? That's, now I'm push play again, okay? <laughs> Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the word of law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and it keeps oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, religious traditions are not enough. If we're not careful, we can learn all the right things to do and say and all the right events to make sure that we check off that we were there. What to do when we have our church clothes on and not really be the people that God wants us to be. My religion just makes me, if my religion just makes me look or feel clean, like I wipe that filter off on the outside, but it's, it's not there, I'm in big trouble. Here's what Jesus said to some religious leaders of his day, Matthew 23, and I'm, I'm plowing through this, I know I've got a lot of scripture this morning. Matthew 23, verse 25 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. These were religious leaders. These were the people who studied the law, who studied scripture and taught other people. He says, he says you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the dish, then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Religion can be a dead-end road. So it, can get, it can deceive you into thinking that you're on the right track and you're actually far from God. I don't believe that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law woke up one day and they said, you know what, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's trick everybody. Let's make sure that they really think highly of us and give us a lot of money. Let's, let's, let's just deceive everybody. I think in their heart, they were desperately trying to please God. In their heart, they were desperately trying to make sure that other people could find peace with God. And Jesus Christ himself said, you, you're hypocrites. If your religion doesn't bring you closer to God and help you move into a place of ministry, check what your religion may have become. And if you need to change it, change it. I'm not telling you to leave this church. I attend this church. This is where I practice my Christian religion. This is where I fellowship. This is where I come for, for my pastor to instruct me and to challenge me. This is where I come to, to, to lay my life before you and for you to, to see and to help me stay on track. But it can become a tomb instead of a life-giving place. I love that song, man. Love it. Turn tombs into gardens. Bones into armies. That's what God does, okay? 
Here's number two. It's another filter in our life, and this one goes hand in hand. It's good works. This is ministry, okay? Religion can be tricky to maneuver, but so can good works and ministry. That last verse there in James, he said, Religion, our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is to this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is good stuff. You and I are not just here to take up space. We're supposed to be doing something. James continues, chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He goes on. There's a lot more there. But I'll just focus on that little bit there. This is great stuff. Very useful to a Christian. Get out there and do something. I want to promise you that every day of your life, you are surrounded by opportunities just to do something positive in somebody's life. It might not be so dramatic that you're, 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 uh, you're, you're taking them food or something like that, but there are opportunities all the time to make a positive difference in somebody's life. One of my more frustrating jobs when I was uh, on staff at the last church uh, that, that I was in, it was a big, big church. And I was in charge of staffing the Sunday school department. It's the worst, worst part of my job. And so I would, I would begin by, by praying and asking God, God, who are the individuals that you would have who could, who could eloquently proclaim the gospel and help all of these young rugrats and, and teens and all these to find you? I would just diligently pray about who were the best teachers. It's not true, actually. I would sum it up by this. Who are the people least likely to say no? Who is it that I could possibly, even if they don't want to do it, just tell them, listen, listen, listen. You have to do this. I'm telling you. I'm your pastor. You do this. It was hard. It was so hard president of honor bound for the state of Nebraska just kind of made an off-the-cuff comment as we were closing down last night and he made the he made the fact that almost every Christian you talk to will say this I would lose my life for my faith I'm going to tell you this that's because it's easy to die it's easy to die what's it take to die happens all the time I mean, goodness, we're just on the tail end of a respiratory disease that had the world, like, the world paralyzed in fear. Why? Because some little microbe that you could pick up somewhere could enter your body and you could die. Easy to die. There's a million ways to die. It's easy to say to God, who you know will welcome you in heaven for eternity where you get to walk streets of gold and never lift a finger again. It's easy to say to him, I will die for my faith. How about this? Well, you teach a Sunday school class. Huh? 
He went all the way through it. I think he started with janitor, didn't he? I used to do that. I think the most important person in this church, it ain't the pastor. It's whoever cleans the bathroom. You know why? If everybody walked in here and the first smell that they smelled was this overwhelming smell of dirty diapers and urine-soaked tile in the bathroom, they would leave. The only ones who would be here are the people who their nose doesn't work very good. It was hard. I hear people, they say they, over and over, I was so shocked in our church. Hundreds of people attending every Sunday. And it appears that God called almost every single person that I would ask to step up and teach a Sunday school class. It would be them. They said, well, God has actually called me to pray for people who are willing to do something instead of actually become someone willing to do something. I even challenged one of them. I said, tell you what, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you do both. I said, I said, we got a curriculum. The prep isn't that hard. I said, you can pray all week. Pray for your students. Pray for the other teachers. I said, you can pray in the car on the way to church. You can even pray before the children sit there. But once they get there, just read the lesson to them. Do something. Our faith, our faith, our Christian faith should move us on to action. Good work should be a natural outflow of our faith in Christ, but this can be harder to navigate than religion. We may find ourselves trying to prove our worth. We may find ourselves trying to do some kind of penance. Say, God, I know, I know what I was. And I'm really sorry. I'm going to show you how sorry I am. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to get so busy. I'm going to keep doing. Here's a really hard one. We might get a few accolades from people. They might see what we're doing. They might say, oh, oh, man. Especially from a pastor. <laughs> I know Sunday school teachers. Oh, oh, you, you who teach the four-year-olds. Oh. Without you, oh, oh, you know, this church, we would be nothing without you. If you're not careful, you do, do a few good things and people start saying stuff to you. And all of a sudden, you start getting, you start getting some self-worth from that. You say, oh, man, I just, I just admire you so much for what you're doing. One of the when I was, uh, I served a lot of roles in Run for the Wall. One of them was I was a Colorado State coordinator for Run for the Wall. It's a big ride. You guys are familiar. You've heard us all talking about it a lot. But it's a, a tremendous amount of work to get that pack of motorcycles across the country. And when we stop, uh, getting the fuel, getting the water, getting the snacks, all this stuff. So you're, you're, you're just constantly trying to get donations. The biggest mistake I could make with some people is somehow flubbing up and they didn't get their plaque. And I knew I was dead meat. I knew it. You'd say, I'd say, man, I'm really sorry. I dropped the ball. This is all on me. And you could tell, don't even, don't even bother coming back because I didn't get to come forward and get my plaque. My favorite was because I, I knew how to grovel. Oh, I got really good at groveling and begging and and debasing myself and just talking about what a loser I was. <laughs> and 
I would start on that path. They go, I don't care about no stupid plaque. He said, well, throw it on the pile with the rest of them. I said, oh, that's cool. Well, I can get it. He said, don't, just don't. Why'd you do this? Because we wanted to be a blessing to these riders. We wanted to make an impact. We wanted to do it just because it was the right thing to do. If your motives for ministry get entangled with your self-esteem, it doesn't usually end very well. I think sometimes the reason people get so dedicated to ministry is because their home life is lacking in some way. I've seen this a million times in motorcycle ministry. I've seen it. Oh, hey, oh no way, baby. I got to go. No, hey, 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 hey. They get so racked up in ministry. And then some of those people that, man, they were there. They were in it. They were, oh, man, we, we just do it, do it, do it. You find out their marriage is falling apart. Or their children don't respect them. Or something. And they were out there doing ministry because so many people said so many good things about them. And when they get home, their wife just says, hey, you ain't, you ain't cutting the mustard here. I know I'm being really mean. I'm, I'm going to get nice. I'm going to get really nice at the end, all right? But constant activity, doing good works, can keep us from having to work through tough relationship issues at home. Another danger is that we use works to excuse our lack of obedience. At one point, uh, Scripture compares our works of righteousness to filthy rags. They were defiled by people's sins of, and failure to seek God. And I remember when I first read that, that whole filthy rag thing. I told you I'd do my own motorcycle maintenance. A filthy rag cleans your hands better than a clean one does. So I thought, you know, at least it's good for something. But it wasn't. These were things that had to be buried or burned. They could never be used for anything else. That's what God says about the good stuff we do. Not the stuff that we think is good. This was the good stuff that we do. Filthy rags. That's how valuable they are to God. But I know people who are trying to impress God with their good deeds. Here's one that I've heard a lot. I know the Bible says to tithe, if you're not familiar with that. I told you, I'm going to be mean just for a little bit more, and then it gets really nice. Tithe is a simple thing. This is how it plays out for us, right? Get your paycheck, 10%. Goes to the church, boom, to God, boom. That's it, 10%, right off the top. 90% negotiable. 10% belongs to God. Bible actually says, if you don't do that, it's like you're sticking a knife in God's back. Okay? Strong words. I met so many people who says, well, I don't really tithe my money. I tithe my time. Okay? I want to tell you this. You don't take that attitude. You know what I think God's likely to do? Give you more time than you know what to do with. Maybe instead of having a job that you can't afford to tithe, maybe you won't have a job at all. Okay? Make sure what you're doing. It's out of your faith and your love for God. It's because you know that he put you here not just to take up space, but to make an impact. As you're going, as you're doing, you're the light of this world. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That we are the hope of the world? Do you understand that? We're it. That's it. It ain't going to be another president. It ain't going to be none. It's, it's us. This is us. It's us. Make sure you're doing something. 
Here's the last one. This is where it gets, this is where it gets good, okay? I'm done being mean. So all of you that were just wanting me to get to Ukraine and get out of here, I never want to see you again. This is the only one that can really bring it all together. And it's your relationship with God. You can have religion. You can have works. You can even have obedience to Scripture. But if you don't have an active relationship with God, you're in trouble. He's the greatest king that ever lived for Israel. It was David. There's a lot of things you can know about David. Some really cool stories. Man, he, he's a staple early Sunday school. David against Goliath. Oh, nobody thought he could do anything. Good stuff. There's a statement that God makes about David. He said, David is a man after my own heart. There's a few people that God says something incredible about them. Job is one. Have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> and David, man after my own heart. But there's some things that you can get to know about David. Did you know he was a murderer? Did you know that he was an adulterer? He was a, there's even a point, and he gets all kinds of credit for this. Everybody, oh, well, in fact, they, uh, I've, I've, been, I've been reprimanded because I didn't act like David in a certain thing that David said he would not touch God's anointed. And it's all this really cool thing. And, you, man, it preaches amazingly. You could do seminars on all of this. But do you know some of the stuff he did while he was not touching God's anointed? Do you know that he went into villages and slaughtered them? And took, the, took their goods and enriched himself and then told the king who was giving him sanctuary, oh, it wasn't anybody you liked, it was other Jews that I did that to. That's one chapter in David's life. And here's this guy that he's a man after God's own heart. And you just see these, you just see these opposite ends of the spectrum that are so intense. But listen to this. This is written. This is Psalm 51. You may be familiar with this one. But listen to this. This was written after one of the darkest chapters in his life when he had done some of the most heinous things that, that I, most of us can't even imagine doing. It says this, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my discretions and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed... Rejoice, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquity, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Rejoy to me the joy of your, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your, transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing your righteousness. Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. No substitute relationship with God. Wherever you're at this morning, I, don't, I have no idea where you're at. Might have been in this a long time. Might be that you've got your seat. And my seat in Sunday school got taken today. I'm not bitter about it. But. I had to sit off over in the corner. But could be you've been here a long time. You know where your seat is. You know what your job is. You know how to do your Christian religion. Just make sure that your relationship with God is fresh. Make sure that you're not going through the motions. Make sure that God will never say of you, you hypocrite. You attender of Calvary Assembly of God. You hypocrite. I don't know where you're at. Could be that you're trying to prove yourself worthy to God. You are. Every time. You're like, okay, I, I'll do this too. I'll do this too. Maybe then God will do it. Maybe you're trying to live down what everybody knows about you or what you hope nobody ever finds out about you. Try to prove yourself to God. And you're just finding it's not enough. It's never going to be enough. Never will. That's what's so frustrating. Because in our brains, our brains, we, we always want A and B to equal C. I think if you do this, this, and that, that's, that's how it's going to go. It's never enough. Never will be. Can't have enough religion. Can't have enough virtue. Won't be able to please God. But you can be a man or a woman after God's own heart this morning. What made the difference, David? It just, it just wasn't about him. It just wasn't. I mean, he made these huge mistakes, but then he would repent. He would repent. It's not uncommon for me to have people say some impressive things about me. Talk about how great of a man I am because of this or that or the other. And I always just feel like, man, it's, it's a sham. You just have no idea. If you really knew me, if you knew uh, how David says, my sin is ever before me. If you really knew the, new, the real me, you wouldn't be so impressed. Know this. God knows the real you. All of it. Everything. Remember those people who met him when he was on earth? And they were the wrong sort of people? There was one woman that warned him, said, listen, listen, I'm a sinner. He knew. He knew. 
God knows the real you, every little aspect of your life, the the things that you think you've got stored away enough that nobody will know about, the, the way that you're able to strut around and think, hey, I got everybody else fooled. You don't have God fooled. He knows the real you. You don't even have to try to remember all of your sins. He knows about them. I'm telling you, you don't. He knows. It's all there. And he loves you anyway. Isn't that great? Loves you anyway. Loves you anyway. I could tell you what I was. I could tell you what I was. I was a mess. I was a kid that people hung their head about. In in my church, they hung their head and they wept before God. Because they watched me walking down such a destructive road. I got to the very end of my rope and... I had absolutely nothing to offer to God at all except a huge mess that I had made. And all I had to do was just make the tiniest step toward him. And he picked me up and he made me brand new. And you want to know what I am now? I'll tell you what I am now. I am a righteous man of God. I am his son. I am his servant. And he uses me not because of me. Because of him. So maybe you're here today, and I've talked all about this, about this relationship with Jesus Christ. And you, you might have not even known that that was an option. You could be that all you thought Christianity was was religion, that all it was was about church, all it was was about rules, all it was was about people like me getting up here chewing you out for what you're not doing. It could be you didn't even know that God wants a personal relationship with you. I don't know where you're at today, but I want, to tell, I want to challenge you to do this. Do the proper maintenance on your spiritual life. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to cry out to God, cry out to God. I want everyone every, to just bow your heads and close your eyes right now. This is the... This, is a, this, this might be an important moment for some of you. If you'd say, you know what? I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not even sure what that means, but I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not have one, slip up your hand right where you're at. I'm the only one looking around unless some nosy people absolutely refuse to do this. But is there anyone here? You'd say, I need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to me, it's not enough to believe. The Bible says even demons believe. So if you believe in God today, but you don't have a personal relationship, you can pat yourself on the back and say, at least I'm in good, in good company with the devil. If you're here today, you say, I need to quit just being a believer. I need to just quit being a, a fan of God and say, yeah, God, do good things in my life. If you need to start, I'm lingering here just a little bit. Just slip up a hand. I'm not going to embarrass you further than that. Just slip up a hand. Okay? There's one hand. Anybody else? There's two. There's three. Is there anybody else? Look, you're not alone. I have my hand up because I desperately, desperately need my relationship with God to be fresh. Okay? I want us all to pray this prayer together. And what this is, is this is you praying from your heart. If you pray this and you mean it, God is going to answer your, your prayer just like he did with David. When he said, when David said, create in me a clean heart, that's what God did. 
When David asked God to renew a right spirit in him, that's what he did. So we're all going to pray this together. I want everyone in this room to pray this prayer with me and pray it from your heart. This is how you start a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is God's son who died for your sins. Let's pray this together. Say, dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me of every mistake that I have made. Remember them against me no more. I invite you to be the leader of my life. From today on, I will obey your word. I will follow you. Take this broken life and make me into something brand new. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tell you, if you prayed that and you meant that this morning, you've entered into a a, a new covenant relationship with God Almighty. He loves you. Now, do this. If you're here today and someone, someone invited you here or something, talk to somebody about what you did. It's not really meant to do in secret. I kept it secret because I, I, I would never want someone to, never want someone to resist because they were embarrassed, okay? But talk to somebody about it. All right, we're going to close in prayer now, all right? Father God, thank you. Thank you for this church family. God, thank you for brothers and sisters and, and uh, uh, f- fellow believers, God, who help prod me on to do sometimes what I don't want to do, but I need to do. Thank you, God, for a wonderful church here, for, for Lexington Assembly, or Calvary Assembly of God. Thank you, God, for a, a body of believers that's willing to have a biker Sunday and haul up a, an old motorcycle on the stage just so that maybe someone would find you or be drawn to you or walk closer to you. But God, we never want to hear, we never want to hear from you that you're displeased. God, that we become hypocrites, that we do the right things but for the wrong reason or any of that, God. And it is so easy, it is so easy for us to get off track God, help us. Help us to come back to you where we need to be. Father, we love you. God, I pray that you bless every man, woman, child, every young adult. Bless the newlyweds in this congregation, God. Help them just to follow hard after you. God, we want to be your people. Here we are. That's why we're here. We don't want to just go through the motions. Help us, God. Help us. God, I pray you bless every marriage. Pray you bless every relationship, God. Maybe somebody got their toes stepped on a little bit. They're thinking, man, I got I to gotta get some things right. Just help them to do that this morning, God. Help them. Because it's not about us. Not about me. I don't have to find the strength. I don't have to find the ability. I have to give up and surrender and let you do what you want to do in my life and then follow you, God, and 
and do what you ask me to do. Help us, God. Help us, God. In Jesus' name.